Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 20th, 2017. Almost Thanksgiving, so I'm not really sure what Matt and I's schedule is going to be for this week. We haven't talked about it, and uh, I didn't think about that until right now because I realized it's going to be Thanksgiving. Uh, so for this slate, we have 11 games. There's not really a ton of value as of now. I think there's a couple of spots that could open up, one in particular that we'll talk about with uh, the Nuggets and Paul Millsap when we get to that game. But first game on the slate here, Utah Jazz at the Philadelphia 76ers. The Jazz defense has been really bad since Rudy Gobert got hurt, which I think we were expecting. We weren't surprised by that. And I I don't think that people have really caught on to it yet, though, because a lot of games against the Jazz, teams have not had really high ownership. Uh, The Pacers were pretty, I mean, the Magic were pretty low owned the other night. Uh, The Nets were pretty low owned for both of their games against the Jazz. So I I think that this is going to be a really good spot to target them, uh, really for a number of reasons. So from the Jazz side of the game, I don't really think there's anybody who stands out as like a super player or anything like that on the slate. From the 76ers side of the game, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, to me, are both way underpriced for this matchup. Simmons especially at 92 fantasy points because he's averaging over 50 fantasy points per game. He's been really good lately. The only two games that he wasn't good in over the last, really since the start of the season, were a game against the Warriors that was a blowout and a game against the Kings that got in foul trouble. Other than that, he's pretty much hitting value every single game. So Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, I think, are both really, really strong plays. And then uh, I my internet just went out. So, although weird, it didn't go out on my computer, but just on my iPad. So, Matt, what's the price for Sarge? Because he's been starting playing a lot of minutes lately. Okay, yeah, I will chime in because you are experiencing technical difficulties. So I can help. Uh, Sarge is 4700 which I think is a bit more than he's been. He was in the no, low. It's about four- the same. I, I like I like Sarge a lot. Forty seven hundred. Yeah, I guess it would be better if he were starting. He's filled in for a couple different guys that have been hurt. I think there was a game Embiid rested. And no, no, he's just he's just starting now. Is he starting for good? Okay, even with JJ Redick back. So yeah, that that's a pretty reasonable price. On the Jazz defense thing, they're coming off a game where they just won by forty points on the road in Orlando. So they definitely played good defense in that game. They won one hundred and twenty five to eighty five. That might keep the Sixers' ownership down a bit because the Jazz, after that game, may have deterred some people from kind of picking on them. But in all the games before that where Gobert didn't play, the Jazz were bad defensively. So we've had, I think the sample is now five games. They've played the Nets twice, and they've allowed 106 and 118 points to Brooklyn. So even though the Nets play fast, that's not really a good result. They allowed 109 to Minnesota and 106 to the Knicks. And the Jazz are a slow-paced team, so it kind of it is a lot to say that they gave up more than 100 points four straight games to, I guess, one good offense in Minnesota. But two games against the Nets and one against the Knicks where they gave up 100 points playing at the pace that they play at, they're definitely a lot worse defensively. You can see it reflected by the Vegas lines, too. The Jazz are kind of, it's like four or five points worse without Gobert is how Vegas has valued it. And all of that pretty much is on the defensive end. So you can really just bump any player going against them, and I'm definitely not deterred by that Orlando game. I just, I well, I didn't play the slate that night, so I don't really have that bias. But also, I just don't think it's it makes sense to just go by that one game sample and not use Utah guys because of, or not use the guys against Utah because of that one game. But it's especially a good matchup for Joel Embiid because Gobert is the guy who would directly be guarding him. So I'm very high on Embiid. I think Simmons. I agree with you there. 
but especially Embiid, who's going against a much weaker caliber caliber of defenders without Gobert there. Yeah, the other thing also is they've actually been playing at a league average-ish pace since Gobert's gotten hurt over the last few games. Part of that also is, I think, because uh, it could be attributed to Ricky Rubio being out and Donovan Mitchell playing a point guard. But they do seem to be playing at a slightly faster pace lately, which probably contributes to them giving up some more points. That and also just being a worse defensive team. Yeah, I think that uh, that Nets game in particular, the game in Brooklyn where Rubio didn't play, I think that was their fastest pace game of the season, with the exception of maybe the one game where James Harden scored like 100 points on them. But it does seem like they're a faster team without Rubio, so we could attribute it mostly to that. Rubio kind of slows the offense down a bit, and Mitchell at point guard is a faster team. All right, so next game on the slate, the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Detroit Pistons. So this game should... uh, The Pistons have been surprisingly really good this year. Uh, They've been one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference, not quite as shitty as people expected them to be. So from the Cleveland side of the game, uh, Kyle Korver's been playing more minutes lately. Um, You know, whatever, I don't really buy it. Uh, LeBron still in play at 11,300. Kevin Love, 7,400, strong GPP play. Can't play him in cash games because the minutes don't really seem to make any sense. Just looking at the last few games, Kevin Love, 35 minutes, 28 minutes, 35 minutes, 23 minutes, 27 minutes, 42 minutes. What caused it to go up and down is the whims of Coach Tyron Liu. Kevin Love's really good when he plays minutes, but uh, for whatever reason, there's sometimes where Tyron Lue decides that, hey, you know who's better than Kevin Love? Channing Fry. You know who's better than Kevin Love? Jeff Green. Uh, not the case, but that's what Tyron Lue thinks. So the minutes of Kevin Love makes him too risky for cash games, but strong GPP play. From the Pistons side of the game, uh, Andre Drummond to 8,800. Uh, I think that's a fair price for him, but he has had some really big games, so you could use him in GPPs. I'll go elsewhere for cash games. Uh, Stanley Johnson at 3,700. He is a not good basketball player. Uh, I think one of the things that I was talking about some of the other day, what I'm most impressed about Stanley Johnson this year is the amount of ways that he could not score. So Stanley Johnson uh, doesn't doesn't hit perimeter shots. He's not a good three-point shooter. He doesn't score around the basket. He doesn't get to the free-throw line, but when he does get to the free-throw line, he doesn't make his free-throws. So there's something to be said for that. Stanley Johnson is really bad at a number of different facets. I think it's funny how much we roster him at the beginning of the year. Uh, So with that said, do you have any other thoughts on this game, Matt? Well, I do think that the Cavs are going to be generally overvalued. They had some incredibly strong fantasy games. I think it was Friday night where they went to overtime. And I think that there's definitely going to be some public bias there just people looking at the results of the game in terms of their fantasy production and seeing huge games from everyone, especially Dwayne Wade, who I think scored 19, not fantasy points, actual points in the first half of the game. He might've been over 50 fantasy points for the game, but all the Cavs players were really good there. Um, so for GPPs, I think fading them makes sense. And, and the game went to overtime. So, I mean, that's just extra minutes for everybody. Right. So if you're banking on the Cavs going to overtime again, then good for you. But I definitely am not. I won't, I'm not sure who I think is going to win, but someone will probably win at the end of the fourth quarter. And I don't really have to say who because it doesn't matter if the game's only 48 minutes. But I, I'm kind of just anti-Cleveland because of expected ownership for GPPs, but also that I'd prefer to use both Embiid and Simmons rather than use expensive Cleveland guys. And it doesn't really make sense to use Embiid, Simmons, and LeBron. It's 
probably not even doable to fit all three in the same lineup. So maybe I'll have some LeBron, but I think going light on him makes sense here. I don't think there's really any value in his price. It's kind of just he's safe because he's really good and he kind of puts up the same 50 to 60 points every game. But at 11,300, there's not there's not a ton of upside there. Um, and then the sharp money is probably on Detroit too. It just kind of always is when the Cavs are on the road and the total for the game has dropped already. I, I Even though it's the second game of a back-to-back for the Pistons, it is a home game too. So I think... I'm just lower on Cleveland than the public is, and for that reason, I think I'll be lower than the public on all of their players. Okay, so the next game, I agree with you that if I'm paying up, I prefer the Sixers, guys. I really like the spot for the for the Sixers players. And the production for Embiid and Simmons has both been fairly comparable to LeBron, and they're cheaper. So I think that those guys are better plays than LeBron, but it's hard to say that LeBron himself isn't in play, but I just think the other guys are stronger plays. So the next game, the Indiana Pacers at the Orlando Magic, and we had a Miles Turner sighting today. Uh, so this morning, Miles Turner played it. Actually, it wasn't on the uh, DraftKings or FanDuel slate because it was uh, like an early afternoon game being played during the football games. But Miles Turner finally had the kind of game that I was expecting from him really all season. So Miles Turner today, 25 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, a block. Uh, 11 of 14 from the field. Miles Turner was really good, and I think he's going to have a lot of games like that this year. So I'm looking at him at 6,800. His price actually gone down because the uh, pricing came out fairly early for the slate. So I'm looking at at Sunday's game as kind of a breakout game for him. Orlando's a plus matchup. They've been struggling a little bit recently. They just and, lost by 40 at home to the Jazz, so that's uh, that's probably a yeah, big that, understatement. That qualifies, that qualifies as struggling. But the, the, the Magic started the season really, really well, and there was a bunch of aspects of it that, what, that were definitely not sustainable. Uh, Aaron Gordon was shooting like 60% from three. Evan Fournier was shooting over 50% from three. Vucevic was shooting over 50% from three. There was no way that Fournier, Gordon, and Vucevic were all going to be uh, 50, 40, 90 guys. And that's what they were for the first few games of the season. The Magic were also one of the best defensive teams in the league by defensive efficiency. And they are now, uh, let's see, where have they fallen to? Because they were like top five for a little while. And now they have fallen down to 16th and trending downward. So good spot for Indiana. Then still a pretty good spot for Orlando, especially I really like Alfred Payton in this matchup, 6,100. He got up around 8,000 last year. And he's had a couple of rough games recently, but it's worth noting that he was injured. He had the hamstring injury. He came back. He kind of seemed to re-aggravate a little bit. He was playing on a minutes restriction. So I just think he's going to get stronger and be able to play more minutes from here. So Alfred Payton, I think him at 6,100 is a good buy-low opportunity. He's going to be somebody priced in the certainly 7,000-plus for the majority of the season. And then I think Aaron Gordon at 7,200 I think is a decent play. Uh, Matt, what do you think of your guy Terrence Ross at 3,700? Oh, that's my guy now. I, I think I uh, yeah unsolicitedly brought him up last time when you didn't want to talk about him, so he's become my guy. Uh, I don't yes. know. He's he's fine. I, I don't I don't think I'll probably <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty rush. On, I'm pretty unopinionated on him. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything to say really. Like if uh, if there's a surprise magic injury like Jonathan Simmons or Evan Fournier or something, then I I like Terrence Ross. But I don't think we need to talk about that scenario. I definitely like Alfred Payton more. He's my favorite player from the game. But the other big men that you mentioned are all kind of priced the same. So I'm kind of just staring at this now, trying to figure out between Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, and Miles Turner, who the guy to go with is. 
Uh, it's my it's Miles Turner by I, a long shot for me. Yeah, I, I think, just think uh, like Vucevic is kind of like whatever to me. I think Aaron Gordon is somewhat interesting, uh, but Miles Turner to me and uh, and Alfred Payton are my preferred plays from this game. Yeah, I think you could stack the game and kind of just use all of them, but we'll probably get to some games that we think are better stack spots. So I don't know. It's probably a bit of a reach to go with too many Orlando guys. What do you think, though, about the correlation with Alfred Payton? Would you rather use Gordon with him or Vucevic with him? Uh, Gordon. All right, well, that yeah, I guess that would kind of rule out Vucevic then. If you're using Payton, I guess, for GPPs, maybe you want to pair Gordon and Miles Turner and use those three guys from this game. But that probably means almost no exposure to Vucevic. Yeah, I think also. I, just, I expect Gordon to be a better fantasy producer this year. And then also he had a stronger positive correlation with Alfred Payton last season. So the next game on the slate, Minnesota Timberwolves at the Charlotte Hornets. So Jimmy Butler has been playing much better recently. He had a huge game tonight, and he's actually gone for 42-plus draftings points in four of his last five games, which is something I keep bringing up is uh, in sync with him saying after practice, I need to be more involved in the offense. I need to take more shots. I need to be more aggressive. And fantasy production way up ever since he said that. Not a coincidence. Jimmy Butler at 7,500 is a fine play. I think that Carl Anthony Towns a little too expensive for me because I think that there are just other big men I prefer to use. Uh, Jeff Teague, I think, is usable at 6,700. He's had some big games this year, so definitely GPP upside. And then from the Hornets side of the game, uh, piggybacking on something that Matt had brought up before, Minnesota Timberwolves playing on the road game of a back-to-back. They played a pretty tight game on Sunday. Uh, The starters all played a ton of minutes, so that should affect their defense going up against Charlotte tomorrow, also road game back-to-back for them. So Kemba Walker at 7,900 is a fine play. I think Dwight Howard at 7,000 is in play. Uh, Batum at 6,200. His minutes are so confusing to me. He's played three games now. The game he's played the most minutes in so far is his first game back from injury, and that was the game where he was supposedly restricted. He played... 32 minutes in a game that he was supposed to be on a 25 minutes restriction so after that i assumed okay so batum good to go no played 26 minutes and played 28 minutes so i think batum's a fine gpp play he's going to be priced higher than this i have a little bit of questions how many minutes they're going to allow him to play but i think 6200 there's a lot of upside in batum and the michael kid girl coach also 4100 that's a little bit too cheap for him he's played let's see 31 minutes, 27 minutes, 31 minutes the last couple games. Uh, so not really a ton of minutes. There was a point in time last year he was playing like mid-30s minutes. But certainly I think that he is in play at 4,100. Well, I think the one impact that Michael Kidd-Gilchrist could have that's really significant is if he plays extra minutes to stay with Jimmy Butler. I would assume that that's who he's guarding if both guys are in the starting lineup. Well, Butler will be. So if MKG is on a full workload, then that probably is a pretty bad thing for Jimmy Butler, who also was by far the highest usage player, I'm pretty sure, for Minnesota on Sunday night. Maybe he is more affected by the back-to-back than the rest of the team. Jeff Teague didn't really do much, but that's kind of just speculation. I'm fairly high on the Hornets in general anyway and kind of low on Minnesota. There's some pretty strong sharp line movement already where the Hornets have gone from minus 1.5 to almost minus 2.5, and it's against the public. Uh, So the public seems to like Minnesota in this game, and... The Hornets probably will see the line rise and be bigger favorites by the time it starts. 
And it has a lot to do with the Hornets probably being a better team than what they've been so far with MKG healthy, Batum healthy. Dwight, Dwight Howard has had some games where he's been in foul trouble or just not play a lot of minutes for whatever reason. But he should do well against Carl Anthony Towns. I think it's a strong spot for him. Um, this It would be nice to be able to stack this game since there are a lot of good values on the Hornets potentially. But I don't really like too many of the Minnesota guys. So I think the guy that you mentioned that I like the most is probably Jeff Teague. And he may even see more usage when he's... Well, he shares the court with Jamal Crawford for some portion of Crawford's playing time. I think it's probably the early part of the second quarter and early part of the fourth quarter. And if Crawford doesn't play, I guess that's more time that Teague has the ball in his hands. It could mean more minutes for both him and Butler. So that's something to monitor a little bit. But either way, I do like Teague probably more than Jimmy Butler. And then almost everyone you mentioned... I think, yeah, actually, everyone you mentioned on the Hornets, I think all those guys make for good GPP plays and probably even cash plays, too. Uh, All right, so the next game, the L.A. Clippers at the New York Knicks. From the Clippers' side of the game, um, what is... So Danilo Gallinari has been ruled out for another game with the hamstring injury. Uh, Patrick, or a glute injury, Patrick Beverly is one with the hamstring injury. Uh, Beverly, I believe, is expected to play on Monday. He's listed as questionable, except uh, Waz reported earlier that he's expected to go. So if he's going to play, Lou Williams at 7000 probably out of play, or definitely out of play. It's too expensive for him. Blake Griffin, 8900 That's whatever. Uh, DeAndre Jordan at 6600 That is, let's see, what has he been doing recently in the matchup? Uh DeAndre Jordan really hasn't been great this year. He had the one really big game against the Cavs in the overtime game. So I think there's a lot of fair pricing on the Clippers. Nobody who I look at as, oh, I definitely want to get him in my lineups. If anything, with Patrick Beverly back, it's just a little bit less role for everybody. So we expect a little bit less production all around. From the Knicks side of the game, we have Tim Hardaway is currently questionable with a foot injury. If he can't play then Porzingis is going to see a pretty big usage bump. Canner is going to have to have a bigger role in the offense. Courtney Lee probably ends up playing a ton of minutes, probably upwards of 40. And then I'm trying to figure out who starts. Maybe we get uh, Doug McDermott starting. I wouldn't I wouldn't really be super excited about rostering McDermott, but I think he'd be in play. Uh, I guess we just kind of have to wait and see. If Hardaway doesn't play, who starts in his place? And that probably becomes a pretty decent value play. Yeah, but also I think Courtney Lee anyway is is a decent play. He seems to be underpriced a little bit. I think he's actually been above 5000 a couple of times. I might just be completely wrong about that. Yeah, you are wrong. Okay. Anyway, wrong, my friend. But his Tim, most expensive price this season was 4300. Oh, so this is actually the most he's cost this year at 4600. Well, that may, would be correct. Maybe the questionable status of Tim Hardaway has already been priced in in that case. Don't like Courtney Lee as much, but if Hardaway does sit, I think it it's it's a fine play to use late. Yeah, that does make sense on a usage boost for Porzingis. So those guys, for sure. Um, more usage for Jared Jack, or is that just too uninteresting where he, he probably won't take a lot of shots anyway? Um, it's what, it, like, Jared Jack's been starting and playing minutes, and he has not scored over 23 fantasy points in, like, three weeks. So he's been, he has lost some minutes as of, uh, late to Frank Nielakina and the the Knicks are definitely trying to work Nielakina into a bigger role in the rotation. It's kind of something I've been saying for a while, but 
I mean, Jared Jack, I think, is just going to play his normal 25 to 28 minutes and not really do a ton with his time on the court. Yeah, that's probably fair. And then with the Clippers, I do think you're right that all the pricing is just kind of fair. Unless Beverly or Gallinari or both end up missing this game again. And then in that case, we can use the same guys that we've been targeting, most notably Lou Williams. But if the, if either so one... 7,000 now, though. Yeah, I still think that's usable if Beverly and Gallinari both sit, but it doesn't sound like that's the case anyway, so it probably is just a complete fade of the Clippers. All right, so next game, uh, Wizards at Bucks. John Wall's listed as questionable, so there's no line. John Wall said after today's game that he is going to play tomorrow. The Wizards have him listed as questionable, but I, I think he should be good to go. I think it's just more a thing he's listed as questionable because on the team's game notes he didn't play today, so they just wrote him and his question for tomorrow and John Wall said no I'm playing tomorrow so I think we could expect Wall to play the only thing is 9000 for him on the road I think that's a, a bit steep of a price for him in a road game due to his home road splits and then also I, I think they could be a little cautious for them with the injury so if you want to take a chance on him on a GPP I, I think there's other guys that I prefer especially Ben Simmons in the price in the same price range uh, I don't think John Wall is the worst play in the world. There is some upside, but it's probably a bit too risky for me personally. And then from the Buck side of the game, let's see. Still a lot of really fair pricing for the Bucks. Uh, Giannis up to 11.5 now. Uh, usage a bit down since Eric Bledsoe came in. Bledsoe at 6,500. see, what has Bledsoe been doing? Uh, Bledsoe... They haven't really been playing Bledsoe a lot of minutes. He's been playing like 25 to 30 minutes most games. So uh, Bledsoe at 6,500 uh, 6, is probably a pass for me. Middleton may be worth a look on GPP at 6,800, but still not something I'm really excited about. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like you're excited about anything with this game. No, I'm just kind of looking at it. It's just, it's just a lot of like fair pricing. I, I don't think I'm going to have any exposure to this game. Yeah, you just sounded very sad talking about it, which I guess is enough. Even if no one could understand the words you were saying, I think we could just go by your tone and say, eh, this game is whatever. Wow, what language was I speaking? Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about for our for our podcast listeners who don't speak English. For for those people who like to just listen to us say the team names, and then they can ch- kind of just uh, figure out if we like the game based on our tone of voice, but they don't know the words. I think we have a that demographic is a pretty big part of our following. So for we those international, we have an international audience. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know which country they're coming from, but it's somewhere. Well, I know that there are some Australians that listen because uh, Josh Lloyd works in the Basketball Monsters from Australia. So from from him, I have we have some Australian listeners, but they sh- should understand English. That's uh, that's about as cultural as we get in America. But I do know that Australians also speak English. They don't speak like Australian. American, as we like to call it, American. Uh, next game: Portland at Memphis. This game has by far the lowest point total on the slate. Oh, actually, not by far, but it does have the lowest. Two good defensive teams, and from the Portland side of the game, playing in Memphis, this is probably just a fade for me. From the Memphis side, where this does get a little interesting, is Tyreek Evans is listed as questionable. If Evans can't play, we're going to see a lot of minutes from Mario Chalmers, so he's going to be a pretty strong play at 4700 His price has come up a little bit, except he's still averaging almost 30 fantasy points per game as the starting point guard. Uh, I think that's correct. Let me look at that again. I was just going off the top of my head. I realized I should probably check that instead of... Uh, yeah, uh, 26.5 fantasy points as a starter. 
So even a 4,700 in a difficult matchup, if Tyreek Evans doesn't play, I, I think that's a very usable price for Mario Chalmers. I think he's in play, even if Evans can't go. Marcus sold 8,100. He would have massive usage if Evans can't play. And then Jamichael Green, I think his minutes are going to be coming up. Chandler Parsons is worth a look in GPPs if he starts again. He started last game at 3,700. I don't think the upside is enormous for him because he's not really doing anything outside of scoring. But if he's going to be playing close to 30 minutes at a 3,700 price tag, I think he's worth using. The other guy that I'll mention, well, the only guy I'll mention from Portland because you didn't mention anyone there, Damian Lillard with Mike Conley not playing, I think it becomes a much better matchup. Mario Chalmers is not nearly the defender that Mike Conley is. So even though it's a low-scoring game, I think that specific position becomes a liability for Memphis. Uh, Darren Collison actually had a 30-point game the other night. I think it was the first game that Conley missed, or that might have been the one where he got injured partway through it. Uh, No, he didn't play in that game at all, and Collison had 30 points in Memphis. So maybe it's a good enough matchup for Lillard where he's usable at 8,300. But for Memphis, yeah, if Tyreek Evans doesn't play, that opens up a lot of possibility for the Grizzlies. So even with a 194-point total, we get, we're get we actually a lot more excited about this game than the one we just talked about. That was all depressing. I think there's potentially a lot of players to use here. Yeah, and I mean, it's just because of the value that exists because we have we have the injuries. So whenever there's injuries, it's going to create value in NBA DFS, and that's what we have here. Mike Conley's out. Tyreek Evans questionable could be out. So the players are still priced for this matchup. So we're seeing Marcus Gasol at 8,100. He's been playing really well since Conley got hurt. So even though the price is at 8,100, it's still kind of built into the to what this matchup is expected to be, and there's just an extra role in him for the offense if Tyreek Evans isn't able to play. So next game we have here, OKC at the New Orleans Pelicans. I continue to throw Russell Westbrook into GPP lineups. I haven't been going crazy with them exposure, except it's always a thing where I'm building my lineups and I'm saying, like, I need to have 5% of Russell Westbrook. I need to have 10% of Russell Westbrook just because I'm convinced that the giant Russell Westbrook game exists. I don't know that it exists anymore. I'm starting I'm starting to think that maybe Westbrook's uh, role in this offense has just been mitigated enough with – uh, Carmelo Anthony and Paul George there where he just isn't able to put up as many fantasy points because one of the things about uh, the game of Carmelo and Paul George is neither of them are terrific catch and shoot players a lot of them are guys who catch the ball hold they're they're kind of what's called like a rec- record scratch type player where they get the ball and just everything kind of comes to a halt and I think that's really been hurting Westbrook's assist numbers just a guess but I think that's the main reason for why Westbrook's fantasy production has been down outside of obviously less shots for him but then also just less assists because of the way that Carmelo Anthony and Paul George score their points if you look at uh, I mean Russell Westbrook now has been in between like 35 to 50 fantasy points in almost every single game this year so this is a plus matchup for him I I I think that I I don't know if I could just view it as a total sunk cost I still think I'm going to throw Russell Westbrook (laughs) into a couple of GPP lineups with zero confidence uh, well, Greg, here's a uh, here's a crazy argument that might just be completely ridiculous that I'll throw at you to see what you think. The game is in New Orleans, and well, first I'll say on assists from Westbrook. I think most people may not be aware exactly of what constitutes an assist. So, like Westbrook drives and kicks out to the perimeter to Paul George, and then George does like a pump fake and then drives all the way to the rim for a layup. There's no assist credited there because the play is kind of reset, I guess. 
But this game's in New Orleans, and you've talked about how Pelicans scorers are much more liberal with giving assists on every play for everything. Do you think they'll do it for the road? It's only for their players. You think it's going to be exclusively their players, and that won't help Westbrook at all? Yes, it's been happening for a while. All right, so I guess we'll have to get to the Pelican side then because we get to uh, talk about this very friendly scoring system that helps all of the players, especially the the one guy who you don't like who's back from injury. Yeah, so as a player, I don't like Rajon Rondo at all, except he does have – he's a good fantasy player. He's a good DFS player because he gets gets, uh, rebounds, he gets assists, he gets steals. He doesn't contribute to teams winning basketball games, but he contributes to DFS lineups winning GPPs and that's what I care more about in terms of him talking about in terms of us talking about him on this podcast so we now have uh, Rajon Rondo since coming back he played five minutes he played 14 minutes then he played 25 minutes I think it's reasonable to expect him to play somewhere around 30 minutes for tonight we don't have an exact uh, report on his minutes for tomorrow so that will be something to keep an eye on if we see Rajon Rondo 30 plus minutes he's somebody who scores over a fantasy point per minute per minute for the last few years so at 4,800, that's a really strong play, even in a difficult matchup. Anthony Davis at 9,800, uh, I think that's too cheap for Davis. He has a lot of upside. Uh, I think I do prefer Embiid at that price, except Anthony Davis, I still think at 9,800, he's not going to have a lot of ownership in GPPs because he had a classic Anthony Davis game, which just means he got injured mid-game and had to leave. He had the weakest concussion I've ever seen. He took, I, I don't even know how to describe it, unless you were watching the game when it happened. Uh, Jokic was backing him down. Jokic turned away. Jokic's like, shoulder hit into Anthony Davis's chin. Anthony Davis went down like nearly out cold, suffered a concussion, had to come out of the game. I don't think it would surprise anybody that Anthony Davis has a weak chin, uh, but apparently he does suffer a concussion. Assuming he has no restrictions, I think 9,800, a lot upside in Anthony Davis. So I think Davis and Cousins are both better plays than some of the other expensive guys. Not Embiid, but LeBron, let's say. I'd rather use Davis or Cousins than LeBron. So I think, uh, just to reiterate, I probably won't be using any LeBron, and I think he'll be higher owned than any of these other guys. Davis does concern me, though, because coming off a concussion, can you really, even if they're saying he's not restricted, can you really expect him to be fully there? Like, how would you even, how would you even go about figuring out if he's healthy or not? There was a game once last year where Alvin Gentry said he thought that Anthony Davis was playing too many minutes and he was going to try to limit his minutes. And I'm pretty sure he played five minutes in a game that they won by 33 the next game. 45 minutes, is that what you said? Yes. He played played almost the entire game and they won by a blowout. So I I don't think that there's really a situation where Alvin Gentry is actually going to limit his minutes. The only thing that limits the minutes of Anthony Davis is if he gets hurt on the court. If Anthony Davis gets hurt on the court and goes to the locker room, that's when his minutes get limited. If he's on the court and he's able to make it through an entire game without an injury, which happens like two out of three games he plays or something like that, it, then the, he's going to play a ton of minutes. That, that's just what Alvin Gentry does. He leaves his guys out there forever. Yeah, so this seems like the ultimate high-risk, high-reward pick for the slate because not only do we have an injury-prone player, but we have an injury-prone player coming off a concussion that caused him to miss half a game. So there definitely is, it sounds like, a ton of upside. And this is this is definitely the cheapest that Davis has been this year. I think using him a little bit makes sense, but there are a lot of options. Like, I, I agree with you, Embiid's the better pick. So maybe you use both of them in some lineups together. But I think I'll probably be pretty light on Davis just because there's so much risk here. And then 
kind of just throw them in that Russell Westbrook spot that you talked about, the 10%. Hopefully there's upside there. I think I'd rather take the chance with Davis than Westbrook because uh, it's easier to envision the upside for Davis given the... Because he's done it also. He's like, done it, yeah. He's just not done it this year. Right, Anthony Davis has had several games over 60 fantasy points already this year, and Russell Westbrook really hasn't done it at all. All right, so next game, uh, there is some blowout risk here. The Atlanta Hawks, the San Antonio Spurs. Spurs are 9.5 win favorites. Biggest spread on the slate. With that said, Dennis Schroeder, 6,300. I'm pretty sure that's the cheapest he's been all year. There's a lot of upside there. Torian Prince at 4,800. That's like a curiously low price to me because Prince has been priced uh, well over 5,000 recently, and he's actually been playing pretty well. His last few games, 34 fantasy points, 21, 41, 25. So to see him below 5,000, there's a lot of upside there. And then also Torian Prince is somebody, regardless uh, if the Hawks are winning by blowout, if they're getting blown out, Torian Prince still generally plays in the fourth quarter of those games. From the Spurs side of the game, I don't really think that anybody has crazy amount of value. Uh, and there's also the blowout risk, so I don't really think I'm going to have a ton of exposure to these Spurs. Yeah, I was initially looking at this game thinking it'd be a really good contrarian stack spot because I do think that the Hawks are more likely to keep keep the game close than most people think. It seems like blowout risk just gets over-accounted for sometimes, but the problem is that even though there's a few good value guys, the ones you mentioned on the Hawks, and then also John Collins, always upside at 4,400, there's no one really on the Spurs that even remotely comes close to a good value play. Patty Mills is up to 4,500 now. LaMarcus Holdridge seems like just a fair price. I don't, I don't, I can't even figure out one guy that I like from San Antonio. So kind of ruins the stack spot if you're only using one team, but a mini stack of Schroeder and Prince or Collins and Schroeder or something like that, or just Collins by himself. I think those are all in play, but this is probably a game to be light on just because the prices are pretty fair on San Antonio. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you agreeing with me. That's become one of the staples of the podcast. Yes. Next game on the slate, Boston Celtics at the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, this is the game with the second lowest point total on the slate and the second game, the, uh, one of two games with a uh, point total under 200. Uh, Boston, nobody really all that interesting. Uh, look at Dallas's pricing. Uh, this is a really tough matchup for Dallas. Boston has by far been the best defensive team in the league this year. There is a little bit of upside in Dennis Smith at 5,800. The guy who I actually think is the best play on Dallas side of the game is Wes Matthews at 4,400. He's had a couple of really, really big games this year. Uh, also, he is coming off a 43 fantasy point game, and he contributed to me winning a lot of money the other night, so maybe I'm a little biased towards him, but... Somebody who's had a handful of games already at 35-plus fantasy points pretty consistently plays close to 40 minutes every single game and is only 4,400. I I think that he's somebody worth putting into lineups. Yeah, I agree with you, and I do think Dennis Smith is worth using too. The Mavericks are going to be really undervalued here. The Celtics are... I don't know if you can get more overvalued than what the Celtics are now. I know they're good, but they're on this crazy winning streak. They win by a lot fairly frequently, and they just beat the Warriors... I think that looking at how the Celtics have played defense, a lot of people will just be scared off the Mavericks, but Dallas has had some pretty good offensive games and they're very inexpensive. So Smith and Matthews are my favorite guys. I think Harrison Barnes is probably okay to use too, Uh, but I would definitely expect the ownership for all of the Dallas guys to be very low. 
Yeah, definitely. I think pretty rightfully so because Boston is a really good defensive team. Uh, but there is some upside to be had there. Uh, final game on the slate, uh, the Denver Nuggets to the Sacramento Kings. The Kings are so confusing. They're such a mess. Willie Cauley-Stein was starting all year. As soon as he comes out of the starting lineup and starts playing off the bench, his minutes and his production go way up. It basically makes no sense. The idea that somebody would start playing more minutes when they're not starting. The reason it's so confusing is because, like, to me, I think starting or not starting is a little bit overvalued. Like, it doesn't really matter that much because there is no rule that somebody has to play a lot of minutes if they start. If somebody starts, it doesn't mean that they're closing the game, which is more important, and it doesn't mean that somebody's guaranteed to play 30 minutes or whatever. But with that said, there's more opportunity for minutes if somebody's in the starting lineup. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that somebody would be playing 20 minutes a game as the starting center, like Willie Cauley-Stein, and then be over 30 minutes as a reserve. So it's so hard to figure out who's going to play or what to make of any of these situations. I'll say that Willie Cauley-Stein has a lot of upside as a GPP play, but I have no confidence that he's going to be playing 30-plus minutes. I don't even have confidence that he's going to play 20-plus minutes because this team's just lineup and their rotation is really just erratic from night to night. From the Denver side of the game, Paul Millsap is questionable. He got hurt early in the game against the Lakers with a wrist injury. He came back in and then left a few minutes later again. So it seems like there's a pretty good chance that he's going to sit out uh, I, I don't really know exactly what the situation is going to look like. I'm, I assume that they're going to play a lot of small ball. I think Will Barton's going to start, and they're going to end up playing Will Barton in a lot of minutes. Wilson Chandler's going to play a lot of minutes. But it could be telling if they move somebody uh, like a Kenneth Fareed or a Mason Plumlee in a starting lineup because that would indicate to me that they're looking to play bigger more, and then that would mean uh, value on Barton and Fareed if either of them start. Uh, and by that, I mean that even if Kenneth Freed starts at 3,400, I still think that Mason Plumley off the bench is value at 3,600 because that means that the Nuggets are going to be looking to play more small ball. This is all contingent on Paul Millsap being ruled out with the wrist injury. And then from the King side of the game, it's Willie Coley Stein's GPP play, Scal's a GPP play, uh, De'Aaron Fox's a GPP play. But I, I don't have any confidence in any of these guys playing significant minutes. I think that they're all guys with upside, but also a lot of downside. Well, it's really nice of you to say that we have a game that we have to wait for contingencies, and that game happens to be the only late game on the slate. This is a 10 o'clock game. It's the only one that's after 8.30. So we probably won't know anything before lock. And then I really, I don't know what you do in that situation, but it definitely seems like if the Nuggets start their small ball lineup, then it kind of is a boost to everybody, even the Kings players, because then the game becomes a faster tempo game. It would seem to benefit De'Aaron Fox a lot. I'm now checking Twitter because there was just a tweet about Paul Millsap. We could have some breaking news. Let's see. Paul Millsap, X-ray, awaiting results. Okay, we don't have any breaking news. Sorry. sorry Ooh, for breaking news. <laughs> breaking news is that we don't know yet. Uh, so that could continue up until lock, which would be very annoying. But yeah, if we do get some insight on Paul Millsap and we know who the starters are, then that could really have some strong implications on the game. Because right now, the the spread in total have both moved down. Uh, the Nuggets were 7.5-point favorites. Now it's down to 7, and the total has dropped from 208 to 207. If we're assuming that Kenneth Fareed is the starter, or maybe that's what the Vegas line is assuming, 
then that line movement makes sense. Or if it's Mason Plumlee, it's kind of the same thing. We get probably a closer game because the Nuggets would be worse offensively and we get a bit slower of a game and just a lower offensive efficiency game. I really don't know what to do here, but I, I definitely think it's a little bit of a bump for Jokic, who probably gets more touches without Millsap there. And then it's a bump for whoever is in the starting lineup over Millsap. And we don't even know that he's out yet, so this could all be for nothing. Uh, and then I agree with the guys that you said on Sacramento, Fox and Cauley Stein and Lebissier, but none of them are safe for cash. I don't think there's going to be a point this season where any Kings player is safe for cash. Do you think that's probably true? Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Uh, in terms of Millsap's status, though, I'm, I'm a little optimistic that we're going to know his status prior to roster lock just because he got that x-ray done tonight. So I think that if we find out that the x-ray – well, certainly if the x-ray comes back, he has a broken wrist, and we find that out in the morning, then we're definitely going to know he's out for tonight. So I think that in the morning, once we get the results of the x-ray, I think we'll have a pretty good indication of whether he's going to start or uh, sit for the late game. Well, let's say we know that Millsap isn't playing, but we don't know the starting lineup at lock. How would you proceed with that information? I would assume Will Barton is the starter. And the other thing that's fine with giving Barton a boost is even in the worst case scenario where Barton is just coming off the bench and has a normal role, he's still not a terrible play at that price point. So I think that he's kind of a decent play, but with the potential to be a really good play if Millsap's out. So I would be fine with rostering him either way. Yeah, and I also don't think there's a lot of blowout risk either, but if there is a blowout, Barton as a second unit guy would probably see some of that garbage time. So Barton is pretty safe either way. I think you can kind of just roll with him and not really care if he starts or not. If it's a boost because he's in the starting lineup, great, but he's he's a fine play anyway. I think that makes sense. All right, so that'll finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. And let's see, is there an NBA slate for tomorrow? There's only one Uh, game. Okay, so no NBA slate for tomorrow. So we will be back for Wednesday.